It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! This week, doing. What are we doing? Oh, Ask Michael Anything. Yeah, baby. We got a lot of questions. And thank you, fake audience. Thank you, fake band. Maybe I should put a fade in there. Hello, everybody in the chat room. We've got Glenn Less. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name. Glenn Letts? Dan Weber, Lou Lewis, Gloria Covington, Ann House, uh, Kyle Wurzbach, Piano Guitar Voice Lessons, uh, McCall Music, Devin Keith, Victoria76, Russell Nolan, Dean Turner, Susan Van Helsing, Heslin, sorry. Susan Velt Heslin. Uh, Gerald Good, Blue Dado, <laughs> Blue Dado. Uh, okay, anyway, uh, I'm excited to do this show. Um, we haven't done one in like four months or something, and we always get good questions. If you do hear little fan noise, we are experimenting. I got a new camera about a week ago. We're also experimenting. Notice how much prettier I look this week. We uh, are trying higher resolution on the camera and 60 uh, frames per second, and it's causing my CPU to go working a little harder. Anyway, oh, before Bria kicks me under the table, make sure you subscribe. Even those people watching it in the archive, click that little button. Uh, where is it? No. Over there. <coughs> right there. Click that button. Um, click the alert bell up in the upper right-hand corner. That way you get alerts when we're going live. Uh, make sure you like us so that YouTube likes us. And we make millions of dollars from our YouTube account and share it with your grandma. There you go. Um, Bria, can you please make it a little cooler? You know what? I found out when I was here this weekend working on road rally stuff, the air conditioning actually goes off auto mode at 4.30 p.m. or 5 p.m. or something like that. It, so I was roasting on Saturday, sitting here toiling away. Oh, you know what? Speaking of roasting... I forgot to put my makeup on. I really did. There we go. Look at that. I'm much less shiny now. So, okay, we are doing um, Ask Michael Anything. Um, let's just jump right in, okay? First question is from Henry Van, and he asks, I've been submitting a lot of Latin instrumentals. Do you think Spanish language titles hurt a track's chance of being heard and placed? Honestly, Henry, without knowing the actual titles, it's hard for me to judge. I think Spanish titles are great, but I would have some indication, make it a hybrid of Spanish and English, you know, like, uh, um, I'm, I don't know any word, I know burrito. Uh, that, that's as good as it gets. Um, and taco. I know two Spanish words. Um, taco Bell. See, there you go. There's a good example of Spanish and English. Anyway, you get the idea. If it's purely in Spanish, how is an editor, unless they speak Spanish, how are they going to know what uh, the song or instrumental is, is about or the feel or the mood or the anything. So a hybrid, I'm trying to think of a good example, like um, Guadalajara Sunset, not a very good example. 
plus Guadalajara is fairly smoggy, if I remember from the last time I was there, so sunsets are actually pretty colorful. Anyway, I hope that helps a little bit. Hybrid those suckers. William Floyd asks, I should slow down because this show's going to be really short if I don't. Actually, we got a lot of questions. William Floyd asks, I know when you look for new music, my experience has always been you ask for it by genre, blues, pop, etc. Why wouldn't there be cases where the person, the company doing the sourcing would look for songs by subject matter about California, um, a bank robber, a prostitute? Uh, <laughs> really, this actually says prostitute. I kid you not. Um, that'd be great for that new cop show, Hooker by Crook. Um, a prostitute and adventure, etc. It seems to me that opening up and listening outside the projected genre box might add unexpected color to a project. Just thinking. There are occasions. We had, random listening is very popular not that long ago. Songs about beer. But here's the thing. We would almost have to name the genres that wouldn't work. And it's really hard to imagine all that stuff. Um, if you're a music supervisor, and I'm, I guess I should look at this to refer to it. Um, okay, songs about California. That's great, but um, what if the scene is two people in a drop top uh, at sunset on Pacific Coast Highway, and they're looking for songs for California? You go, great, Michael, you totally understand what I'm getting at. Really? Would you use a metal song there? Would you use a disco song? Oh, but it was done in 2019. Disco's not happening right now. Um, would you use a pop song? Would you use a rap song? I, I think you get my point is, yeah, different things might work, but they want to narrow it down. So they might say pop songs about California um, or you know, country rock songs about beer. But they're usually going to have an idea about the type of song, at least a range of genres that would work in a certain scene. You know, if this is two people in a convertible on Pacific Coast Highway at sunset, um, unless the guys are like rowdy party types, chances are the music's going to be a little floaty. You know, the hair is blowing, the sun's going down. It's going to be... Could be Hotel California. <laughs> Um, you get what I'm saying. It's, it's probably not going to be edgy or like really street, hard, edgy hip-hop. It could be, but if, if hip, hard, edgy hip-hop would work in the scene, um, country rock probably wouldn't. So they're going to narrow it down. Uh, and the other thing is that most of the time, let me go back to the question again, um, songs by subject matter, bank robber, prostitute. Also, um, they're generally, about 99.9% .9 of the time, not looking for songs that have lyrics that are hitting the nail on the head subject matter-wise. Um, they're probably not gonna say, you know, give me a, a song about a bank robber. Um, they call that in the in the trade, that's called being too on the nose. It's too specifically about what the script is about. On occasion, you'll hear those. And I guarantee you that tonight, somebody's gonna see a TV show that's got a lyric that is on the nose. They're gonna go, last goes wrong. 99.9% um, .9 of the time, they're not looking for stuff that's on the nose. So yeah, there are always exceptions to everything. 
There, it's not like there's a, a book of rules, but most of the time they're not. So we do our best, um, especially when it comes to instrumental stuff, there's no lyric involved. And these people are experts. Uh, they don't get it right 100% of the time. Some of the time they're guessing too. They're thinking, hmm, you know, that could be like a, a smooth jazz Kenny G thing might work for that car, that convertible on PCH, or maybe eagerly, you know, country rocky kind of stuff. Um, and again, it, it could be two guys who just robbed a bank five minutes before, there's your bank robber, and they've got a prostitute in the back of their convertible and they're cruising on PCH. So do you play music about the prostitute, the bank robber, or PCH, or something that just kind of works well on the scene? That's the one they go for. Um, Ken Bearden asks, if I sign a piece of music to a library as a non-exclusive, can I then sign the same piece to another non-exclusive library? And the answer is yes. That's pretty much the reason for signing something non-exclusively is so that you can put it in multiple libraries. And you've probably heard people go, oh, they retitle. Well, they have to retitle because if you put the same piece of music, and there's nothing wrong with retitling, frankly, uh, it, it's, it's legal, it's kosher. Sorry, I've got a plugged up ear and I'm hearing my own voice. Um, sounds like I'm wearing earplugs, I'm not. Anyway, uh, they will retitle it so that they, let's say I write a song called Michael Loves Deborah, uh, and I put it in library A, and then I want to put the same thing in library B. The second library might retitle it um, Deborah and Michael Love Each Other. A third library might title it Deborah Loves Mikey. Uh, so the reason is they want to be able to track them in each of those different scenarios. So being that if they were all having the same title in all the different libraries, really hard to track, especially if they're both pitching at the same um, thing. So that begs the question, if I put something, the same thing in three or four different libraries and, and some of them or several of them all pitch at the same opportunity um, and the song gets picked, who gets the money? Who um, so first one would be whichever person gets it over the threshold on the desk first, right? Makes sense. I mean, why would you credit the second or third pitch when it, it's the same song, same piece of music, but the person who got it to you first seems pretty obvious and easy to me. Of course, then they have to take the word of the music supervisor that I got it from this library first. I think they would. All right. Next question. Um, David Menser asks, what are some options for finding a music writing partner for lyricists like me? Opportunities like lyric only sections of contests, etc. are few and far between. What am I not seeing? What am I not doing? Not writing melodies. <laughs> Sorry, David. I'll take a cheap shot when it's handed to me. I have a very visible profile with sample lyrics posted on songwriterlink.com right now, thanks. Um, the industry itself, it's extremely rare. I've been in the industry, I think for 43, 44 years, and all those years, I can only think of a couple of times in 40 some years where somebody has actually reached out and looked for just lyrics. Um, 
it's just harder you know oh i've got lyrics these are really cool lyrics gee i wonder should it be a hip-hop song should it be a country song should it be a rock song should it be an edm song um and then what are they going to do publishers going to shop the lyrics around to different people who are really good at top lining stuff um and find somebody and come up with a melody it is incumbent on you as the lyricist to find yourself uh you're Elton John, you know, Elton and Bernie. Elton did the music, Bernie Taupin, Taupin wrote the lyric. Uh, we have a really great place to find those people and that's on the Taxi uh, website at forums with an S, forums.taxi.com. And there's a section called Collaboration Corner. And you can go in there because there are people that are the other side of your coin. There are people who have a home studio um, they're multi-instrumental, they've got really good chops, uh, but they can't write a lyric very well, and they are looking for lyricists. So there you go. That's the place to meet them and work with them. Uh, let's see, I'm going to start checking these off. Wow, I'm making good progress. Okay, next one is from Eric. Buell, B-E-A-U-L-E, asks, once a song has been submitted to a listing, and if I revise, re-upload the mix in my music section of the taxi, um, of your taxi profile, before the song gets reviewed, will the screener be listening to the submitted mix or the revised mix? Uh, thanks for clarifying this. Um, as long as you get it up there and replace the other one, they'll hear your new mix. Um, sometimes we have problems with people that find out something's getting forwarded and they reach out to say, oh, I've got a better mix. Can you guys forward that? That's a time issue, a time and timing issue. If it happens to be that we're still in progress on listening to, let's say, 125 submissions for that thing, and we haven't yet sent it out to the industry person, um, we, I think we have 16 or 17 different steps in the life of a song from well, the life of a listing at Taxi. So if you happen to catch us at the right stage, on occasion they can say, sure, you know, go ahead and replace it and we'll send the newer mix. However, we're also a little reluctant to do that sometimes because the original mix was the thing that the screener heard. So now the screener has forwarded your song, I Love Mary, um, with the original mix and they're still working on other stuff in that batch and then you come along with the new mix. Um, we have to trust that everything about the song is the same and it's just a better mix. Sometimes what people think is a better mix may not be and they, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, I changed the structure a little bit. Oh crap, well that's not what the screener forwarded. So we would have to then take the time to compare it versus the older version so you can see it gets a little dicey um, but as far as revising and uploading a new mix um, before the song gets screened yes that's a definite prince quell um, asks when will a record label sign me when they're ready to and <laughs> i don't mean to be a wise ass about that you know what <clears throat> sorry I have a tickle in my throat. Ah, refreshing. Um, 
they will sign sign you when you've got hit songs. It's that, you know what? That's the age-old formula. Write hits. Write several hits. Write a lot of hits. Not stuff that you and your closest friends and your parents think are hits, but stuff that any person who hears it, any stranger who hears it, can objectively say, "Wow, that song is a hit." All right. Um, that's what labels are looking for. They want to make money. They're not in the business of making you happy or paying you back for all the hard work you've put into something. They're in the business of making money. And if you can make them money because you write hit songs and you have a great performance on the recording and you've got a great live show and it just looks like, oh my gosh, where's this person been all my life? Yeah, let's sign him or her right now. That's when they'll sign you. Um, by the way, nowadays with social media and the internet being as powerful and important in the whole process as it is, uh, this is not a hard, fast rule, but it is a suggestion. They like acts that have proved that they've got the wherewithal and that they are willing to work 20 hours a day on their own career, booking their own shows, building their own fan base with social media, with email, with a website, um, possibly even an app, doing all that stuff, not just throwing up a Twitter account and, and tweeting once a day, hey man, working on a new song. It's more than that. I'm not expert in social media, but I can tell you that anybody who thinks that one tweet and one Facebook post a day um, would compete with other acts that are looking to get a record label's attention, it won't. Um, you need a lot of followers and you have to get a lot of followers or the way to get a lot of followers is by putting super compelling stuff up there. What can you do that attracts an audience and then holds that audience and makes that audience feel, those fans, like they're part of your life? Um, that's, that's the ticket. Um, maybe do live streaming while you're doing a song a co-write with somebody or maybe do live streaming when you're in the studio and ask the people watching the stream did you like when i sang the vocal this way or that way does it sound good with the electric guitar part in or should i go with doubled acoustics on this um that sort of stuff um give people te tease them along the way get them involved not just in you nobody cares that you ate a hot dog for lunch today or you went to the beach and threw some bread at seagulls they don't care about that always ask yourself the question when you're reaching out to people in social media or any form of marketing put yourself in their shoes really put yourself in their shoes and say what's in it for me so if you're putting pictures out there of pretty sunsets or feeding seagulls at the beach yeah, it's a pretty sunset, no big deal. There are a gazillion of them already online. But if you're involving them in the writing process or the recording process or the production or uh, maybe holding auditions for new band members, then what's in it for them is that they feel like they're part of something, something bigger than them. Uh, you become like a TV show. This is why reality television works, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you feel like you're there in the room with these people. Anyway, um, I hope that answers your question. Paul Krieg asks, uh, thanks to Taxi, I have about 10 instrumental tracks signed with three different music libraries. 
Um, do you recommend that I set up a TuneSat account to help search if my tracks have been placed in any TV shows or just watch my BMI statement only? Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Paul. Um, sure, set up a TuneSat. Why not? Um, I get emails from members every now and then and say, oh my gosh, just found out today because of my free TuneSat account. And it's free to a point. You can only track, I, I don't know where the cutoff is, but... Um, it costs a little bit of money to actually do like a lot of tracking if you had a lot of stuff out there, which someday you may want to. But they do have a free account, and I know a lot of our members use it, and sure, why not? Um, I'd want to know. You know, sometimes just here's a little interesting thing. Do music libraries know when the music that you have in their library, in their catalog, do they know when something is used? Oftentimes not, and here's why. Here's one reason why. Um, they could do what's called a blanket deal. A blanket deal is when they give over a big chunk or some chunk or maybe the entire catalog for a fixed all-you-can-eat price to a particular show or a particular production company. Um, typically, it's for a season of the show. It could be on an annualized basis, whatever deal they make. So then they just take a, a drive and they load all their music onto the drive. They hand it off to that production company, let's say, and the production company goes through and says, okay, this is the stuff that we think is valid for the type of shows that we work on. So they pare it down and they distribute it to the video editors working on their shows and say, here you go. Uh, use as much or as little of the, of the music on that drive as you want. We paid for an all-you-can-eat thing. So um, it's not like the production company is reaching out to the library saying, hey, guess what? We're going to use Bria McTavish's piano piece uh, on that show today. They just use it. And hopefully they've got somebody filling out um, cue sheets. And they do. I mean, sometimes stuff, you know, accidents happen. Maybe they put an intern on filling out the cue sheets. More often than not, they get it right. Maybe a little bit late, but they get it right. And they file the cue sheets and then ASCAP and BMI pay you based on that. The library doesn't know frequently in that scenario it, how much their stuff got used, when it got used, what got used until the BMI quarterlies or the ASCAP quarterlies come out. So the library doesn't know any sooner than you do. Now, if you've got TuneSat and one of your songs plays Saturday night on an episode of the Kardashians, let's say, um, you're going to find out before the quarterlies hit. So there you go. Um, and Paul, keep up the great work because 10 tracks is a good starting point. Honestly, um, to start making real money from this, I mean, 10 is great. It's, 10 is better than none. It's better than five. It's actually even better than nine. But ultimately, you want to have 500 pieces of music in multiple libraries. If you're really prodigious, a thousand tracks in a dozen or more libraries that's when you start making real money um, so you got a foot in the door and you're on your way up keep plugging Ellen Violette asks I have a by the way I've no, not seen any of these questions before the show so let's see if there's anything that stumps me um, Ellen Violette asks I have a catalog but have been out of the business for several years I thought all my lyric sheets, copyrights, etc., were in storage, but they got lost. 
Um, I don't remember who the players and singers were to get releases again. ASCAP said, I can list writers as unknown, but what about the players and singers? Thanks. Half an hour before today's episode started, I was on the phone with the president of a, a well-known high-end music library, and he said, man, oh man, you and I need to go out for a beer or dinner or something. I got to tell you some stories. And he said, sadly, many of these are about taxi members that I've had to deal with. And I said, stories like, oh, I forgot to tell you I had a co-writer now that we've signed the deal. Now I'm going to tell you that I had a co-writer. He said, yep, that kind of story. And um, people saying, yes, all the players, you know, the bass player, the drummer, the guitar player, they were all session cats on this when I did it a year ago. And they all signed work for hires. Not true. So those are the kinds of things that publishers, music libraries, people pitching your stuff for film and TV, that is a nightmare for them. It's a potential lawsuit for them. The answer is if you have old stuff and you don't have work for hires and you don't really know who your co-writers are and you can't give splits, I don't agree with the ASCAP advice um, that whoever told you just writers as unknown. Um, I, I can't think of a library, any good library, that is gonna sign your stuff with unknown writers. Because <clears throat> potentially, somebody could be sitting in a movie theater or watching their TV set and hear a song that they were a co-writer on five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. Uh, and they go, well, hold on a minute. I didn't sign off on that thing being pitched and uh, now you get a problem. So um, they could have majority you know, interest in, in how the copyright is split up. Um, it's just all kinds of potential problems. Bottom line is, honestly, the people who get the most placements, the most deals, the most success through Taxi are people that kind of create to order based on what they see in the listings and they submit their music, uh, they go create music rather than taking old stuff. Here's why. Old stuff generally sounds old. Yeah, it'll be great for those uh, listings that ask for vintage material. Five years old ain't that old, though. Um, but it's old enough to sound dated. And unless they specifically need something vintage or something that dates back to the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, what have you, um, dated music doesn't often work. So rather than trying to put square pegs into round holes, why don't you just look at those round holes and go, I can make something that would fit nicely in that round hole and submit that. You'll be better off, you'll have more success, you'll be less frustrated and you'll be less inclined to go online and post stuff in our forum saying, taxi never forwards my stuff because we actually do wanna forward your stuff, but yeah, gotta have the right stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me, such a tickle in my throat. Nicole Blanco asks, is it possible for Taxi to share the listings or songs that actually get picked? Just wondering when the request comes in, what actually made the cut to move forward with a signed agreement? Well, Nicole, I'm so glad that you asked that question because we do actually tell you. First of all, there are a couple places to find it. Number one, go to forums with an S, forums.taxi.com. And the very first thing you see is when you open that page in your browser is going to be something that says forwards. 
and members who get forwarded for different listings often post what the text of the listing was and then post their music and then say, yes, I got this song. <coughs> Excuse me. Somewhere. Hey, Bree, can you please go see? Oh, never mind. Can you peel the paper off of that for me? Because it's been on there for like 10 years. Thank you. I have a tickly throat. Um, so they post the stuff that they, that got forwarded. Um, it's really stuck in there, isn't it? <laughs> you might have to go run it underwater or something. Anyway, any uh, and the other thing is that Bria puts together a blog um, pretty much every day of the week, and that is what's the URL for that one? Uh, Blog.taxi.com/forward, not plural. <coughs> I'll put it in there. Um, uh, Bree is going to post it in the chat. Blog.taxi.com slash forward. Singular. Not forwards, but forward. Um, and she posts everything that got forwarded for each and every listing so that you can then... Uh, we don't actually put the music up there um, because we don't always have permission. Some members don't want their music... Oh, she'll put the stuff that where the members have designated they're okay with it being heard publicly. She puts the links in there. It's a great, you know, that's one of the things. I probably don't mention this often enough, but that's one of the things that our most successful members frequently tell us is that um, they don't get pissed off when they don't get a forward. They get determined and they go to the forward section and they listen to the stuff that was forwarded and they go, you know, I can see why this stuff got forwarded and I can see why mine didn't and now I know what to do to make mine better next time. Um, guys like Matt Vanderbo who I had on the show from his uh, tool shed in Idaho a few weeks ago, uh, many of our more successful members all tell me that. I think with that question they might actually be asking if, if they can uh, know what gets picked by the client. Um, she's have made the cut to move forward with a signed agreement. Um, so as far as what the client picked, no, um, that ain't gonna happen. Here's why. Uh, music supervisors and music library owners are incredibly busy people and the last thing that they want to do, you know, frankly, a lot of times they don't even tell somebody whose music got used if it came from a catalog. Um, and they're not licensing it directly from the musician. Like I said before, they, they don't even let the libraries know in some, if not many instances. They find out when they get their BMI statement or ASCAP statement, um, or if they've got TuneSat. So they don't want to spend their time, uh, library owners in particular don't want to spend their time notifying you, hey, guess what? Your song got used in XYZ TV show. The reason is, they make money by pitching music and getting music used. They don't make money by notifying people that their music got used. So they go where the money is. Can't blame them. They're in business to earn a living. Uh, music supervisors don't reach out to people and tell them that they got used most of the time. Um, sometimes they do, but it's extremely rare. Again, their, their main job is making the executive producer on the TV show happy making the editors on a TV show happy, making the director of a movie happy or the producer of a movie. Um, 
they are not in business to make musicians happy. Um, sadly, music is a bit of a bastard stepchild. It's usually one of the last things, if not the last thing in the process. And uh, it's just the way it's always been. And I doubt that it's going to get better. And I wish I had an answer that would make you happier. Um, <clears throat> where's my pen? James Haggerty asks, how do I get the various streaming services to stop lump lumping my tracks in with someone else's? It's a pesky issue I really want to solve, but I have no idea how to go about that. Thank you. I have no idea what the answer is. Um, I don't really understand why or how they're lumping your stuff in with others. Um, are you talking about lumping it in in some way, you know, like in the form of how you get paid? Are you talking about um, which genre it's in? I don't really understand. Do you? Um, I think I know. I'm guessing that you share an artist's name with someone else. Oh. So, like on Spotify, usually. Right. Like if there are two Bria McTavishes and she does EDM and you do folky pop, um, that both of you guys are both. That the streaming service sees you as, yeah, here's how you solve that problem. You reach out to the service and change your name. If your name is Bria McTavish, you might want to make it Bria I McTavish because Bria's middle name is Irene. No, it's not. <laughs> She's looking at me like, why do you, you say this stuff? You can actually reach out to them and get them to split the artist, too. So there you go. Bria says you can reach out to them and get them to split the artist. Plus, I would imagine that there are all kinds of really good tips on how to accomplish that. If you go on, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, Google. <laughs> Google has an answer for everything. Um, I'm sure other people have had that problem and figured out a way to solve it. So there you go. I'm sorry that I'm not as smart as Google. Thank you, Bria. Okay. A little papery, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. So now I'm going to be talking with a cough drop in my mouth because I've got a tickle. Glenn Lest asks, when creating instrumentals, do most taxi members write out their songs in standard notation, notes, chords, rests, etc., or do they just create them as sound files played on keyboard with virtual instruments directly into their DAW? Um, I've never been officially given an answer on this. I feel bad for the people who are going to watch a show later and go, why is that dude, is he like harboring acorns in his cheek like a chipmunk? No. It's a cough drop. Because I had a tickle. Um, I don't think anybody, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody actually does notation for their stuff. Uh, if they do, they are missing out on money-making opportunities because the time it would take them to do that would be less time that they've got to be creating. Honestly, I think a lot of times people just walk into their studio. First of all, let's say they're not responding to a particular request, which most of the time I think they are, but let's say they're not. <clears throat> so this morning I get up and I go into my studio and I know that I'm going to create some zany dramedy cues that are kind of cute and quirky. Um, I may go watch five or ten minutes of YouTube to check out some other dramedy cues and go, okay, what can I do that's kind of like that but different and better? And uh, probably come up with two or three chords and uh, decide what mood it's going to be. Uh, 
If it's dramedy, chances are it's got the ubiquitous uh, pizzicato string parts in it, probably got a vibe or a celeste or something doing little bell-like tones. And then maybe add something like a kazoo or a trombone or a tuba or a harp, who knows, something that's not typically heard but is used judiciously in the blend of instruments. And they just lay it down. And they kind of just go for it because they can see while they're doing it. This sounds like other stuff, but it is 10% different and they're happy and they're done. Um, they don't put it in notation. I could be wrong, but I've, all the years I've been running taxi, I can't think of anybody that ever told me that they were putting it um, in, in notation where it could be. Put it this way, nobody's gonna be buying that sheet music. <laughs> Here we go. Um, William Peter asks, what would be the best piece of advice you'd give to a songwriter seeking a publishing deal? Write hits. The same advice I gave the guy asking about how to get a record deal, write hits. People aren't interested in, that's pretty good, or that's good enough, or, oh, I've heard some other stuff like that. They want stuff, um, and it depends what kind of publisher. If you're talking about a publisher that is pitching stuff to big artists on record labels, gotta write hits. Um, always good to try and write with a target in mind. Um, and when you're researching your targets, you don't pick an artist to write for that writes 95% of their own music. Because um, getting a cut with that artist is going to be really tough. Look for artists that cut songs from outside writers who nowadays are probably in a camp, meaning a group of writers, producers that kind of orbit around the sun, which is the artist, um, and get tapped by that artist uh, until the artist gets bored with their stuff or they have too much stuff going out that sounds the same. So you get a pu publishers want to sign people that are making money. I remember many, many years ago, we managed a band here called Bob Goblin. They were a taxi band that got a record deal, I believe with MCA Records, and they didn't find any managers that they really liked or trusted. And they asked us, um, if we would manage them for a short period of time till they could find a manager. We did, we managed them for probably, I don't know, six months to nine months, maybe even a year. And the minute the word was out that they were getting signed to a record deal, publishers came out of the woodwork. Why? Because publishers want to sign acts that have music that's going out to the world. A signed act has a much higher probability of having stuff played on radio or selling vinyl, um, in which case you would make the uh, mechanical royalties on every piece of vinyl sold, and you make performance royalties when the music is played on the radio. Um, so they love finding people who have a song that, oh, I got a song that's going on the next Gwen Stefani record. Okay, we're interested in being your publisher if you don't already have one. Um, there you go. Uh, they want to work with people that are going to make them money, and the people that make them money write hits. If it's music library and instrumental stuff you're talking about or uh, music libraries that are primarily getting songs into montages and dramatic television, that's a whole different thing and I'll try and talk about that at some other point today. I don't want to confuse what I just said with what I might say about that other type of publisher. Um, Chris, 
Matarazzo? How do you say that, Bria? I'm guessing Matarazzo. Matarazzo, very good. Bria gets an A in name pronunciation today. Um, Chris Matarazzo asks, hi, Michael. So I've been with Taxi for more than a year. I do instrumental stuff. Good man. Um, a good person. I'm not sure if Chris is a man or a woman. Uh, I have had a whole lot of forwards, 30 or 40, I think, starting from way back when I joined. Still, I have signed only one agreement. I know patience is key, but should I be worried that although I'm getting forwards, my stuff might be lacking since I'm not hearing back, or is this typical? Feel free to tell me I need to stop whining and be patient. <laughs> stop whining <laughs> be patient. <laughs> now, you know, believe me, it's, it's probably the most frequently asked question that we get these days because so many of our members are getting forwards because we've gotten... We do a lot more to educate our members. Taxi started out primarily as a company that connected musicians and the people who needed music. Over the years, we've come to realize and have acted upon this, that we, we realize that um, connecting people is part of the deal, educating people on the right kind of music, the right way to make it, the right kind of etiquette to have when you deal with industry professionals. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into the, the batter of making that cake. And so we've had more people that have listened and more people get forwards and we get asked this question quite frequently. We had one guy, nicest guy in the world, his name's Carl. And he was so frustrated. The guy had like 250 pieces of music that were forwarded. I listened to the guy's stuff. In his case, probably 180 of those forwards were for drone cues. He did really good drone cues, but you know what? I would suspect that when a library requests drones from Taxi, uh, we get a lot of people who can make drones and a lot of people who can make really good drones, but a library doesn't need 200 drones or 500 drones. It's just too much. They might need 20 drones or 50 drones. So we get, let's say we get 200 submissions for a drone thing and we end up forwarding like 70%. So it'd be 140 drone cues got forwarded to this library. They get it and they go, oh my gosh, who's got the time to listen to 140 drone cues? Well, you know what? Every one of them is good or they wouldn't have gotten forwarded by taxi. But they start listening. And I'm just guessing this. I'm surmising. I, yeah, I'm surmising. They listen to the first one. They go, this is really freaking good. I'm going to sign that one. Listen to the next one. Go, pretty good. I'm going to pass. Third one, I'm going to sign it. Fourth one, going to sign it. Fifth one, I'm going to pass. You get the idea. They're hearing a lot of stuff that they would like to sign. Not that they're not all great but maybe they've already got stuff like drone number two or drone number five, or maybe they've got something that's like drone number five, but even a little better. Not to say drone number five isn't good. They've just got something that's in a similar bag and better. So they find what they need in the first 20 or 30 or 40 drones. They don't need to listen to the next 120 of them. That could be a reason. I'm not saying Oh, don't, you know, leave from the show and go beat your head against the wall tonight. Go, oh my gosh, you know, what can I do to get to the top of the list? The gentleman that had 250 forwards and had never gotten a deal said, should I be titling my stuff differently? Couldn't hurt. Um, should I have all my titles be with the letter A? Well, we don't send out stuff in alphabetical order. Frankly, most of the time it's randomized when we send it out to the industry people. There are cases where we hear stuff that is so 
perfect for what they asked for, that we will take that stuff and put it at the top of the list, and we may actually include a little note. The first three will knock you on your butt. Um, more often than not, when you tell somebody in the industry you've got something amazing, they will sign something other than what you think is amazing. It's like, I've got the perfect guy for you. Or, yeah, I've got the perfect guy for you. Really? I actually like his brother better. Um, some of that goes on. Nobody likes being told what they're going to like, so I think it sometimes can rub people the wrong way. Anyway, that was, I um, diverged from my real answer, which is, the guy who had 250 forwards ended up finally getting heard by a library owner that went, holy crap, this guy's amazing. They've now connected, and I'm sure that Mr. 250 forwards is going to end up writing stuff for this library a lot and get a lot of placements. And I told him, just be patient and stop whining. So, yeah, be patient, stop whining. You want to plant as many seeds as you can. And you know what? They don't. It's a priority in your life because you got a forward. Tell me. Tell me now. I need to know. I need to know. I've had too much coffee. I can't sleep at night. I'm lying in bed. All I'm thinking about is some guy has my song on his computer, and is he going to sign me? Don't know. You know what? Could be a case where they got a request, um, where library got a request for a TV from a TV show that says, we need um, country western swing songs. And you get forwarded for that. You've got an excellent country western swing song. And it could be that the TV show actually found one five minutes after they sent out the request. So the library that's now coming to taxi because they don't have any country swing uh, and we run a listing for them, the entity, meaning the music supervisor who reached out to them, no longer needs it. So we, in good faith, run the listing, forward the music to the, super, or to the music library, and they no longer have that opportunity because it got filled so quickly from another source. This is the music business. This is how it really works. I know it's really, really, really hard for you guys to not look at it from sort of this tunnel vision. What about my music? What about me, 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 me? And I'm not saying you're a bad person for feeling that way or thinking that way. There's so much more going on in the whole process that if you have this vision of your music landing on somebody's computer and then, oh man, I can't wait to hear this stuff from Taxi. Oh, look at that Bob Smith song. Wow, can't wait to hear it. And they press it. They may actually love it and they may scoot it over to a folder, drag and drop it over to a folder for country swing music because they're going to find 10 country swing things even though they didn't get it in that TV show for that particular request um, they're going to build a country swing folder and include it in their library because they recognize that if they'd had it already sitting in their library that they could have reacted much more quickly and they might have been the first one to get it over the transom and get that piece of music signed. So now they've got a bunch of, they've got three country swing things that they love and they put it in that folder. Um, and they keep looking at it going, Gosh, maybe I should run another listing with Taxi and get more stuff to put in the folder. Eventually they get around to it, but they're so busy pitching every day that that's kind of like, a, that's you know, we all have, like this weekend, 
I cut down some stuff in my backyard that I've been looking at for nine months. It was growing through the fence, going over into the neighbor's yard, and I know the neighbors well, and I'm sure they weren't pissed off about it. So I'm looking at it dozens of times, probably hundreds of times, going, I should go out there, it was bamboo, and that stuff grows like a weed. Um, finally, I got around to it this weekend. That's the way the music business works, oftentimes. Not 100% of the time, but oftentimes. Neil Newton asks, I have a general question about the listings concerning the quality of submissions. Maybe more so for the artist pitches than, say, the film and TV stuff. Um, sometimes I look at the description of the requirements and become a little despondent. Oh, dear God, don't jump off a bridge because of the requirements. Um, for example, these are just few of the descriptions used. Please submit contemporary radio-worthy songs with super catchy melodies and fresh memorable choruses that scream hits. Great vocal performances. Please submit chart-worthy pop songs with killer hook-driven choruses and loads of radio appeal. Be sure your submissions have modern-sounding productions. My question is, if I could produce that stuff exactly, uh, produce stuff that exactly matched these descriptions, would I not already be a star myself? Um, probably not because there's so much more that goes into making a star. Like I mentioned before, it's, you know, social media, having the right look, working with the, having the right band with you or behind you, um, playing enough shows, building a fan base. Ooh, I just saw a system CPU lit up and said 60% in yellow, but it seems to be okay at the moment. Um, the bar has been raised. It keeps going on and off. The bar has been raised because the tools are out there that anybody with the right ears and the right amount of determination can make great sounding stuff out of a home studio. So now I'm going to flip, flip the, not flip the switch. Uh, remember how earlier I said, don't look at stuff through your eyes, your, your wants, your needs, your myopic tunnel vision, because it ain't about you. It's about them. If you were a production music library, or if you were Gwen Stefani, or if you were Warner Chapel Music, would you be looking for stuff that, let's take each one of these, please co commit, please submit contemporary radio worthy songs with super catchy melodies and fresh memorable choruses that scream hits. If you were one of those entities, would you look, be looking for stuff that's dated not good enough to play in a radio, doesn't have a super catchy melody or a fresh memorable chorus, would you want that? No, that would be called mediocre. Nobody wants mediocre. So the bar has been raised, but you know what? Don't get despondent, get determined. Um, we have taxi members that get forwarded. We have a lot of them. We have a lot of taxi members that get deals. We have a lot of those too. We have a lot of taxi members who have placements. It's an uncountable number at this point. So um, that's your competition. Remember the old, I don't know if it's a joke or a, uh, a parable, but um, no, definitely not a parable. If a bear is chasing you, you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than the other guy. <laughs> there you go. Um, there was a second part of the question. Exactly how good do our demos need to be in order to get noticed? Well, the fact that you used the word demos, um, 
tells me that you're probably pitching your music um, to artists, you know, labels looking for stuff for artists. So, you know, who knows, Gwen Stefani, I'm gonna keep using her over and over because I'm too dumb to think of anybody else's name to use today. But if you're Gwen Stefani and you're getting demos, um, which the word demo almost doesn't apply anymore because anybody can make master quality stuff. The listings, by the way, will say they're willing to listen to stripped down stuff, but much of the stuff they hear is coming from pro writers, pro producers, and those are the people running faster than you with the bear chasing your butt. So you need to be faster than them. And that may make you despondent, but if reality makes you despondent, then maybe the music industry might not be the right industry for you. Um, and I'm not trying to depress you. I really um, wanna encourage you, but different bars for different things in the industry, but if you're pitching, trying to get your songs cut by a major label artist, then your songs have to be a little better than the hit songwriters that are out there. And they are producing really spectacular demos, which are really masters. Look, here's the greatest example, and then I'll move on. Um, we had two members named Adam Watson, Andy Dodd, and probably, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, um, we forwarded some stuff to a then unknown artist named Jesse McCartney. Actually, stuff went to Jesse McCartney's manager. And somebody on my staff um, said, is it okay if I include this song that I think is perfect for the listing? These guys didn't submit it. Um, I said, yeah, <clears throat> if you think it's right, then we want to impress Jesse McCartney's manager by sending something that's right on the money. The manager called me a couple days later and said, is it okay if I reach out to these guys? Because even though we didn't love that particular song, we love the style, the sound of what they're doing and want to hear everything they've got to see if there's anything that fits. And one of the things that fit was a song called Beautiful Soul, um, which was, I believe, Jesse McCartney's first hit. I think it was a maybe even a top 10 record. Jesse McCartney used the demo that these two guys had done in their living room in a home in Brea, California. Um, because the drums sounded great, the bass sounded great, the guitar sounded great, the vocal delivery on the demo sounded great. So Jesse McCartney, when he heard it, thought to himself, yeah, I can sing that. It's also a good idea, by the way, that when you're pitching, if you're pitching to Gwen Stefani, get a female vocalist to sing it, preferably in the key that Gwen Stefani most frequently does her songs in. Excuse me, it's all an effort. You're trying to always make your stuff easy to use easy for them to imagine them on it, easy for them to just say, I love this track, everything about it. Um, and now you're probably even more despondent because you're thinking, I don't have that capability. Then you know what? Look for listings where it says they will take stripped down stuff because some people are actually smart enough and I do believe that's a good way to go to just take a piano vocal demo or a guitar vocal demo, again, with great vocal delivery to really you know, sell the emotion. Maybe that's the way for you to go. Long-winded answer, but whoa, there's more. I have found the tracks I've done in pro recording studio have gotten forwards whilst amateur demos don't. Do we need to be getting our stuff done by studios to really get a forward? Are the old days over where artists or A&R departments could pick a hit from a pocket tape recording? Um, 
I think I answered all that. So there you go. Um, and you know what? Learn how to make great sounding stuff at home. That's really the key. Because if you have to go to a pro studio every time, you're gonna spend a fortune. Um, not that I'm trying to take any work off the, you know, uh, food off the table, the pro studio owners, but look, we have tons of members that have nothing more than kind of a basic iMac, a $1,500 computer. You can go buy a good used iMac for $600. You can get, I'm looking at my microphone, an Audio-Technica <clears throat> USB microphone for a couple hundred, like for 150 bucks. Um, you can put together a really good home studio for not a lot of money. And you know what? There's so many great videos on YouTube that will teach you everything you need to know about engineering and production. You can do this. We strongly encourage our members to learn how to do this. Um, it may take you six months or a year of lots of tries and lots of fails, but eventually you'll get there. And our members who figured that out are the ones that are making money uh, because they can whip stuff out overnight. Okay, that was half the show in one question. Um, Andy Pierce wants to know, what would you recommend are the essential things that should be on an artist's website aside from contact details? I'm thinking more about what would be the best way to give music supervisors and production music libraries access to examples of your music, such as a music player on the site or links to Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. Um, frankly, first thing you need to do on a website is try not to be all things to all people and it's good that you realize that you want supervisors and music libraries that's your target audience so the home page of the website should be quite simple and deliver a singular powerful message bob smith does evocative music for film television and all other forms of media boom there's your sub or your headline um maybe have logos of networks that your music has already been played on that are seen somewhere maybe you know like side by side little thumbnails of those logos that tells them okay this person's professional enough they've had a bunch of placements and then i would have a music tab or a um in the main menu um you know the word music uh and go to a page with soundcloud embeds probably the easiest way to get it done um there you go. That way they can listen to it if they like it. By the way, we do recommend Disco, D-I-S-C-O. Um, <clears throat> I'm not talking about that kind of Disco. I'm talking about Disco, the software that lets you um, distribute your music to industry professionals. Um, we use it to send out our music. Bria's gonna put a link in. Um, we use it to send out music to the industry it allows them to stream it and if they like it download it um, all kinds of features i'm not a salesperson for disco but i will say that i endorse it because the staff has been really happy using it um, and yes contact details and the contact details are critical um, email and phone number and you know what? So many times I call taxi members and people sometimes don't even return the call. Um, they don't pick the phone up quickly. Man, oh man, we have cases where a music supervisor calls and says, I love this song. 
Um, we want to replace something that's already in the film and we're going on the mix stage tomorrow. So we need to wrap this license up tonight and taxi members will get back to us uh, and say something like, oh, I was on vacation, sorry. If you see a phone call, if you're from the 815 area code and you see a phone call coming to your cell phone while you're on vacation um, at you know, Lake, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and you see, here, I need a prop, and you, your phone rings and you look at it and go, 818, who the heck could that be? 310, who could that be? 213, who could that be? 646, who could that be? 323, those are all the LA area oh, codes, I right? No, I only know 818. <laughs> Brie only knows 818. Because I'm a valley girl. <laughs> anyway, point being, you should know what the area codes are for the greater Los Angeles area because if you see a phone call coming in from one of those area codes or a 212 from New York City, um, you don't know who it is, I'd answer that phone call probably some marketing person but you know what don't just the industry moves lightning fast sometimes <laughs> sometimes not but it's not unusual that they need an answer on something right away or they're going to move on to the next person the next piece of music so if you if you're from the 815 area code which is where my hometown was and you go on vacation, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is where people from my hometown went on vacations, and you see a call come in and you're out fishing with the kids, let the kids catch the bass, take the call, okay? Um, okay, Andy Pierce, same gentleman asks, now I've got, sorry, paper in my mouth from the uh, cough drop. Um, Andy Pierce asks, will there be eat and greets at this year's rally? If so, when and how can I hook up, book up? That's a new way to say it. Um, yes, eat and greets will be at this year's road rally. That's where it's the only thing that costs money at the road rally. And frankly, we don't make a penny from that. Uh, it's like 35 bucks or something uh, for a lunch. And uh, we get, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> paper. Um, we get 30 people. We do two eat and greets, one on Friday, one on Saturday. We get 30 people from the industry. We put them at the head of 30, well, not the head, the round tables, but we put an industry person at every table along with 10 taxi members who come to the luncheon. And then every 15 minutes, we rotate the industry people so that you don't get just one person. You may get a manager, then you may get a music attorney, then you may get a music supervisor, then maybe a library owner, maybe a successful taxi member. So you get um, typically, I think, five different people during the course of the luncheon. And, and the food's actually pretty good. I've not really heard complaints about the food. Um, and people say it's a good value because it includes um, dessert and drink and tax and tip. And it's all in one. If you were to, I mean, yeah, Burger King's going to be cheaper. But if you go to the Thai restaurant next to the hotel, you're going to drop $28 on some pad Thai. Might as well drop the extra 7 bucks and sit there with a manager, a music supervisor, a music library owner, and a successful taxi member. Oh, by the way, we encourage them to take your music. We actually have a prize, the person who, the industry pro who finds the best music at the eat and greet gets, I wanna say a hundred bucks or $300 check from taxi. Um, so that encourages them to not only take your music, but to listen to it so that they can win the 300 bucks. I have paper all over my mouth now. It's cool. Sorry. 
Whew. Before I was coughing, now I'm spitting paper. They asked how, when, and how can they book it. Oh, Bree had to remind me that I didn't answer the whole question. Uh, we will send you guys out an email um, letting you know when you can. Um, it'll probably be about two and a half to three weeks before the rally, I'm guessing. Usually it's, yeah, early to mid-October. Early to mid-October. Mm -hmm. So we're not that far away. By the way, I have solved the greatest problem we've ever had at the Taxi Road Rally this year. The problem has been solved, and I will take a bow at the beginning of the road rally. <laughs> because I'm so incredibly modest. Um, people have complained for the last 22 years. It's so frustrating. Um, there's so much stuff that I want to go to. Uh, and, and the problem has been that a panel in the ballroom, let's say, goes from 11 to 12.30, and then some class they want to go to starts at 11.15 up on the second floor of the hotel or 11.30. So the start times and the end times of the panels and the classes didn't jive. So I'd be in the ballroom moderating a panel and I see, you know, 100 people get up out of the chairs and they're going elsewhere. This year, see that stuff written in the margins over there? Um, I corralled Bria and Angel. We went into the conference room and I said, you know, I'm sitting here trying to move my panels around to line up with the times that we've held the classes in the past and the one-to-ones and the eat and greet luncheons. Why don't we just move those things? And there was kind of a collective thing where we all sounded like Homer Simpson went, though. And, and we did it and it worked and it's going to be awesome. Um, so this year you will have less frantic moments trying to get from one place to another and trying to decide, do I go here? Do I go there? And do I watch half of this and then go to some of that? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Debbie McCall asks, how can I get Synths to sound more acceptable? I'm new at using Cubase and, knee and getting some help. I finally did a custom critique, so please let me know what your trick would be to make drums, orchestra, drums, orc, which I'm guessing orchestral stuff, strings, etc., more acceptable in the mix. Um, by the way, my, the Mod X8 keyboard has a direct link with Cubase and a virtual insert, uh, virtual instrument. So thank you so much. God bless. See you at the rally. Well, Debbie, that that's almost an entire show to answer that, but the short version is that Again, there's tons of great stuff. Some paid content online, video content, some that's free. You really have to judge for yourself. What Don't assume that the free stuff can't be good, but don't take the word of every free video out there. Um, it comes down to, I would rather have a person that knows how to do dynamics, articulations, and, and um, wrangle their library sounds, choose the correct sounds, um, and knows how to manipulate them and present them properly with a $500 library, even a $200 library, than somebody that's got a $2,000 library and does none of that, just plays triads, you know, just like, eh. that doesn't work. So it's, you have to think like a string player. If you're putting down strings, how would they bow? It'd be like, eh. so that stuff goes into the stew of making great orchestral sounds, 
sound like great orchestral sound. It's not just as easy as, oh, just go buy this library and then you can play that you know, triad and it's just gonna sound amazing, because it's not. It might sound like it's 20% better recorded, but it's still gonna sound like an amateur did it because it's not gonna have the articulations. Um, it's not easy, it won't come quickly, but once you get it, you're gonna see your forward rate go up and you're gonna see people be really happy with what you do. And frankly, um, rely on your fellow taxi members in the forum, forums.taxi.com, because they will tell you which videos are the best ones to watch and probably shorten the timeline on you figuring this out and becoming really good and proficient at it because they've already done it and they love to help their fellow members. So there you go. Gee, it must be five o'clock because there goes the guy with the BMW M2 that I've complained to building management about. Did they stop him? No. Michael, Dave Freeland asks, uh, Freeland asks, Michael, have you ever thought about having a follow-up process for those submissions that are very close per the taxi A&R review? One that allows us to correct what they didn't like or what they thought needed fixing, which would improve our songs recording, allow us to resubmit. Yeah, we've considered that every year for the last 27 years, and I don't mean to be a snide jerk about that. This would have to be done with a strict time limit, one to two days max, but it might help submissions success. Um, <laughs> the music library uh, CEO that I was on the phone with before I did today's episode w was relating a story to me on this very subject about how he, he asked a musician for something uh, really important and he got it three months later. Um, we have found that to be the case in many, many, many instances throughout our 27 years in business. People, not just musicians, but people in general, aren't really good about doing stuff on time. First of all, even if we could get them to do it on time, the industry moves faster than that. You're competing against people who are good enough and who are fast enough. Um, and as much as we love to support you guys and we do more hand-holding than probably anybody else in the industry, I'm sorry, this didn't get forwarded. The mix is just not happening, you know? It's like the vocals obviously way too low and the drums sound very dated. Um, oh, look at that. So we've been through 150 things. We found 19 that we could forward, but now we've got to wait two more days to deliver it to the industry person because we've got to wait for 68 other people to make their corrections and get it back to us on time. And then we've got to have another screener lined up to listen to the resubmits. <sighs> no, I'm sorry. I wish we could, but we can't. Um, it's just not the way the industry works. We really, truly, from the bottom of our heart, wish that we could do that, but we can't. Ralph Oleski asks, talk about using loops and cues and using them in general. That's a broad topic. Um, there's a little bit of an aversion to people using loops because many other people are using the same loops and it just sounds obvious. Most instrumental cues need to have a sense of we're moving, we're big, getting bigger, we're moving forward, we're growing, we're getting interesting. There's a sense of it's going somewhere from start to finish and usually the finish is Ta-da! Depending on type of cue, obviously, you know, if it's a depressing finger-picked guitar thing or a drone, there's probably not a 
ta-da, at the end. Um, but many times, oftentimes, most of the time, there are. So, um, when people use uh, a loop, everything sounds the same. It just stays at the same level of intensity, the same beat, the same everything from start to finish. There's no sense of build and there's no sense of we're getting closer to the end and we're making a statement and ta-da. So, that said, can you take loops and edit them and then add other tracks on top of them to accomplish those goals of creating a sense of forward movement and a, a sense of growth and embellishment and getting bigger and having a purpose in life? Absolutely. So it doesn't mean that you should never ever use loops. You just need to learn to use them like a pro because just taking a loop and laying it down and then overdubbing a simple melody on top of it is gonna sound like somebody took a loop and overdubbed a melody on top of it. And while it really makes life easy, it doesn't make life good. Alex Klude asks, what's the best way to approach and reach a publisher directly in addition to the great efforts of Taxi? Um, same way we do it, frankly, which is tons of research, tons of time, tons of emails. As another one of my friends who is a music library owner told me, he sends an average of 118 emails per day. The reason Taxi exists, and frankly, there's somebody that does what we do better than we do it. And go look in a mirror because that person is you. Nobody cares more about your music than you will. The question is, do you have the time? Um, do you have a job? Do you have family obligations? Do you have a life that would prevent you from spending? I mean, we spend, we've got three people doing it um, eight hours a day, seven hours a day because they take a lunch. Um, I, I spend stupid amounts of time on, on my own on weekends. Um, I'll see somebody, just, I go down rabbit holes. There's no better way to explain it than I go down rabbit holes. But you know what? You've got to be able to write a really succinct email um, that gets to the point. You've got to be able to write a really good subject line. You have to be available when they call you back. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I work in a pet store and I was grooming a dog when you called. Look, they know people have day jobs, but, you know, when they're returning phone calls in the morning or responding to people who sent them an email and they see a phone number and they're calling you and you don't grab that call, they're already on the next thing. It's not like you are the most important thing in their day. So um, it can be done, but you've got to research. Are they the kind, you don't want just any publisher. You want a publisher that needs the kind of music that you've got. Um, so you need to understand what kind of shows they primarily get their music in, what kind of music they get in those shows primarily and then research their catalog and look at it and go, oh, look at that. They've got tons of drones, they've got tons of orchestral. The one thing they don't have is a lot of jazz and I'm really good at jazz. So I'm gonna send an email to the person who ferrets out music for that library and say, um, I do jazz, I've noticed you don't have a lot of jazz in your catalog, would you like to hear my stuff? And they'll probably respond yes. So there you go, I hope that helps. Uh, oh, I'm on the second to the last page, which is good because I've got 14 minutes. These are questions the member services staff gets asked often. Why don't the companies my music was forwarded to contact me if they aren't going to use my music? Well, I think I've covered that in previous questions, but let me say it one more time. 
why don't the companies my music was sent to by Taxi contact me if they're not going to use my music? The reason is simple. They are in the business of making money, not holding hands. Um, if they reach out to you and say, gee, Bob, I really love that piece of music. It was awesome, but I couldn't use it because I didn't like the mix. Well, can I make another mix and send it to you in three months? Um, there's just, they don't want the back and forth conversation. Uh, and every time they reach out to every single musician to say, this is why I couldn't use it. Can I send you something else? Oh, by the way, I do this other genre even better. Can I send you some of that? Or can I send you another mix? Or oh, I just got a new keyboard last weekend. Can I send you some stuff that was done with the new keyboard? They don't want the back and forth. They've got thousands of people in their catalogs, at least hundreds, probably thousands. And if they did that for every person whose music they passed on, they would do nothing but be the shell answer man for those of you who are old enough. Bria, do you know what the shell answer man and She's looking at me like, you're so old. The Shell Answer Man <clears throat> was a TV commercial series probably back in the 60s or 70s, maybe in the 80s, where what kind of gasoline is best for my high-powered car? And the Shell Answer Man would say, our gasoline with lots of lead in it. Um, anyway, that's the answer why companies don't use, uh, why they don't tell you why they're not going to use your music. Um, this is a classic. This is, in the history of taxis, 27 years in business, the single most asked question. Why don't you send all the music you get to the client so they can decide if something works for themselves? That's great from a musician perspective. Um, yes, uh, and believe me, if we thought that we could send everything that's submitted, uh, we would, but the reason they use Taxi is it's a time issue. They don't have the time to filter all that stuff. They certainly don't have the time to get back to people and tell them why they're not using their stuff. So they need a, kind of a, a curator, kind of a curation firewall in between them and the people submitting the music. Um, if you're a music, uh, here's a great example. Uh, I have a friend named Frank. He's a music supervisor and he told us two years ago at the road rally that he listened to a thousand pieces of music in one hour. And you're thinking, oh, that's bull pucky. Uh, nope. He listened to a thousand pieces, auditioned a thousand pieces of music for one slot in a TV show. Do you think he sat there for the full three and a half, four minutes on each one of those songs? Nope. Sometimes he never hit the play button. You know why? Because he needed something. I'm just hypothesizing here, but let's say he needed something that was raucous. And he's looking at the waveform, he's getting ready to play it, and he goes, I can see by looking at that waveform, it's not raucous. And then he might click the play button, and in two seconds or less, he knows it's not raucous. It's a very, like, laconic, legato piece of acoustic, dreamy, acoustic, floaty music. Um, he doesn't want to take the time to listen. So he listens to the first few seconds, literally few seconds. And if he hears something goes, at least it's in the right ballpark, then he's going to take his cursor and he's going to go to the middle of the song to see if it progresses. Is it building? Is it moving forward? Does it have a sense of momentum? Yes, it does. Okay, now I'm going to listen to the end to hear if it's got an ending that works at the end of the scene that would make the editors happy. Yes, it's got all those things. It's got the right emotion. It's got the right structure. It's got a sense of moving forward. 
that was only stuff that was filtered by people like taxi or music libraries. Can you imagine if he just said, hey everybody, I'm looking for rock music for my show this week. Um, let's just put a billboard up on the 405 freeway and say, I'm looking for rock music. First of all, he would probably get five or 10,000 submissions. Somebody's gotta filter it. That's why taxi's in business, because we make it palatable, if not desirable, for them to hear your music, because we are picking the stuff that is stylistically on target and is over the quality bar, and that's what we're sending them. They love us for it. You love us for it because we're getting your music to the right people. And you probably think the taxi screeners are wrong all the time because your stuff doesn't get forwarded. And I'm sure if the people in the industry heard my music, they would feel differently than taxi screeners. And I hate to sound all egotistical and conceited, but I can tell you with a great deal of certainty that more often than not, the screeners are on the money. They really are. We've been doing this for a long time. The people listening to music are not interns. They're not rookies. These people have resumes that are like, holy crap, why are they even screening a taxi? And frankly, maybe it's because they're on hiatus from being a music supervisor and they're on hiatus for the summer. Um, maybe they've got a zillion pieces of music out there working on their own, but they're tired of working out of the house and they just need to get out and be around people. So they come here and they screen, but trust me, Anybody is welcome to come and look at the resumes of our screeners. Frankly, you can do it on our website. You can see little short versions of them. Um, Bria is going to post a link, but go to taxi.com slash A&R um, or so. A&R team. She's looking while I'm talking. Yeah, A&R spelled out, but I'll put the link in there. Okay, A&R, like a a, -A, -A. Yeah, A-A-N-D-R. Okay, A and the word and R. Uh, and you will see the resumes. We've got most of them up there. We don't have 100%, but we don't have second stringers. We don't have interns. Sometimes people want to believe that we've got like amateurs or interns that we're paying practically nothing just to say that we screen the stuff. Nope, you could walk in here any day of the week and find that the people listening to your music are so well credentialed that you would be blown away. Uh, next question, why can't you just listen to my music and shop it to the industry companies for me? That was the old way. Hey, I've got a great song, what do you need? I've got a great song, what do you need? I've got a great song, what do you need? Frankly, it goes back to my days as a shoe salesman when I was in high school and then in college for a minute. Um, Somebody walks in a shoe store and they see a lady walks in, she's gonna be a bridesmaid next weekend. She says, I need a seven and a half potaswap pump uh, with a three and a half inch heel and I'm gonna need it dyed magenta to mass, match my lovely uh, bridesmaid dress. Um, I did that because I have four daughters and I know bridesmaid dresses usually aren't that pretty. Um, so, for that lady who comes in and needs the seven and a half potaswap pump with a three and a half inch heel, and I bring her out a men's penny loafer, Basswegian. Um, she's gonna look at me like, are you out of your fricking mind? I asked for this and you're giving me that, something I totally can't use. So it just seemed more efficient for them to tell us what they need. Duh, <laughs> it's just that efficient. 
tell us what you need and we will find it for you. And we will screen it, we will curate it, we will filter it and give you stuff that's on target for what you need and is over the top of the quality bar. There you go. Um, how does an exclusive deal work? Specifically, if the vocal version is used in a project, can the non-vocal version be used in a different project? Can a portion of the song be used? Nope, when you sign an exclusive deal, that publisher has the exclusive right to license everything about that song. You, you really can't take a section of it. Um, you, you can't take the vocal off. You can't bastardize it in any way, shape, or form uh, and then give it out to other publishers. You can if you want to get sued, but you don't want to get sued. What is a sync fee? Glad you asked. A sync fee is an upfront payment that you get when they license your music for a TV show. Now, thank you MTV. They were the first entity that I can remember um, that didn't pay sync fees. And everybody's like, oh, they don't pay sync fees. Well, nowadays people make so much money on the back end that they don't care if their music makes it onto an MTV show and they don't get an upfront sync fee. But, however, if you get a song, let's say in a montage on an episode of a big time primetime drama, um, they are probably going to pay somewhere in the range of $2,500 to $5,000 upfront, which is a sync fee, and that is usually split with your publisher 50-50, typically. Um, if you do a deal directly with a music supervisor, which some of our taxi listings will go that way, um, you would get the whole 5K. So there you go. That's what a sync fee is. And you still make money on, on the broadcast performance, on the performance royalties. So when your stuff airs on TV, if it's on radio, um, not in a movie theater in the United States, but the rest of the world, um, pretty much the rest of the world, maybe all the rest of the world, uh, you get paid when your stuff is in a movie. Now, if your music makes it into a movie, you don't get paid when it airs in the movie theater this weekend, but a year from now when it's on HBO, now it's being broadcast, so you get a performance royalty there. What's the best way to figure out what genre of music my songs fit into for taxi listings? Forums with an S, .taxi.com. Um, there's a section on there that our most successful members swear by, and it's called Peer to Peer go on there and and do a little crowdsourcing ask your other fellow helpful not snotty not mean-spirited but helpful nice taxi members what genre would you call this and go with the consensus and if the consensus is that there's no consensus then it's probably not in a genre we hear a fair amount of music that isn't in a genre and it makes it hard frankly what radio station would play it what type of artist would record it uh, what music supervisor, I'm going to send you a song. What, what type of song is it? We don't know, but it's really good. Get the idea. What's a buttoned or a stinger ending? Um, buttoned or stinger ending is something that ends, typically goes back to the root or the tonic, um, typically ends on the downbeat. Um, and it, think of it this way, it's an ex exclamation point at the end of a piece of music. Why do they want that? Because fades are hard to use, even though they were really big for many, many years in the land of records and radio. Fades make it very hard for editors to put in TV shows. What is ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC? They are not your publisher. You would be shocked. Probably 20% of all musicians think that ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC are publishers. People will call us and say, 
I've got a publishing deal with ASCAP. And we say, no, you don't. They are, um, what's the word, performing uh, performance, Rights performing rights organizations that are in charge of collecting the aforementioned um, performance money that gets paid when your stuff airs in a TV show on a radio station, what have you. They are in charge of gathering up cue sheets, monitoring the performances, monetizing that. Um, they cut a deal with ABC, hypothetically. I'm sure they have a deal with ABC and ABC pays them $5 million a year and then they apportion that $5 million out to the creators of that music. And ASCAP's job and BMI and CSEC is to collect that money and then distribute it to you and they get a little fee off the top for doing that. Um, what's the best way to improve my song after getting a return critique? That's a great question. That's gonna be our last question of the day because I need to end at 5.30 today. Um, the best way to improve, frankly, is you could reach out to Taxi for a custom critique. I probably don't do a very good job of recommending that often enough, but um, custom critiques aren't for a particular listing, but you get really extensive feedback. Combine that with going into the peer-to-peer peer -peer section of the forum at forums.taxi.com and ask your fellow members. Again, we have this incredibly supportive community. It's unlike any other community that I've seen out there. I mean, I, I go on gear slots pretty frequently, not that we compete with them in any way, shape or form. We're, you know, we're different, but there's a lot of negativity on there. A lot of people just like, I'm all that. I know everything and you don't, you're a dumb bunny. Um, you won't find that with the taxi crowd. It's really, really a supportive, uh, group of people and I'm really proud of that and really grateful for it. So if the screener makes a suggestion, incorporate those suggestions, then go to peer to peer and say, hey, the screener said this, I did that, what do you think? And uh, there you go. That's probably the best way. And then you could even send the song in for a custom critique and find out, um, get more extensive information. So there you go. Um, nothing else I really need to do. Oh, here's something that you've probably never seen before. A Criteria Studios album cover for uh, a piece of vinyl, which is on my turntable, but when something got mastered and you would get an acetate made, which is kind of like a test, a one-off test pressing, that's what they would send it home in. So with that, uh, I bid you a fond farewell for this week. See you next week. I have no idea what I'm going to do next week. Uh, so you guys, not one person sent in a suggestion with a show idea. Shame on you. See you next week, you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching.